Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I want to start off by just reading you some quotes about self-control. That's going to be our subject this morning. This first one's from the book of Proverbs. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. An army general once stated, I cannot trust a man to control others who cannot trust or control himself. Excuse me. No man is free who cannot command himself. Christians and non-Christians alike recognize the importance of self-control. One Christian leader said that this was their favorite quote, and I quote, we are never going to enjoy stability. We'll never going, we're never going to enjoy spiritual maturity until we learn how to do what's right when it feels wrong. And every time you do what's right by a decision of your will, using discipline and self-control to go, to go beyond how you feel, the more painful it is to your desires, the more you're going to grow spiritually at that particular moment. Hugo Grotius was a Dutch scholar of... of uh, centuries ago, he, he wrote, a man cannot govern a nation if he cannot govern a city. He cannot govern a city if he cannot govern himself. He cannot govern himself unless his passions are subject to reason. And both, again, Christians and non-Christians agree that self-control is a really hard thing. One Christian leader said, he who controls others may be powerful, but he who has mastered himself is mightier still. And Peter the Great of Russia once quoted in this honest, had this quote honestly. He said, I have been able to conquer an empire, but I have not been able to conquer myself. So today, that bring, we're going to talk about self-control in our series on growing our character. And um, not that uh, there's, there's not more to say. This is going to be our last talk in this issue of uh, growing in our character. Uh, I was thinking about it. Maybe next year in the fall, we can do this series again with five other character qualities. And we can, we can focus on growing uh, our character next year in the same way, just with some other qualities. I want to remind you, the first thing that we talked about was love. And we said that love was a verb and that love meant uh, preferring others over ourselves. And it meant just doing gracious and good and kind things for others. And we talked about integrity growing our character and learning to be honest and not fudging and not uh, kind of skewing things to make ourselves look better than we are. Then we talked about generosity and how generosity doesn't have anything to do with how much we have. It has to do with what we do with what we have. And then uh, gratitude, that was the week before uh, Thanksgiving. We talked about being grateful and being thankful to others. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to grow in any of those areas. I know I have. In fact, at Thanksgiving, Thursday was our only really okay day during Thanksgiving when it seems like those who had been sick were getting over it and those who were going to get sick hadn't gotten sick yet. So Thursday was a fairly decent day. And at our our meal together, I told my children about, about what I learned about Thanksgiving. And we spent some time during the meal 
just they, they had to be thinking and share something in the course of the last year that, that they were genuinely thankful to God for. And so that was actually a good experience. I wonder, have you, I'm not asking you to share anything, but I just wonder, have you been trying to grow in those four areas that I just mentioned? I hope so. I know, I know they're, they've been on my mind kind of continually. Maybe it's just because I'm speaking on them, but, but they've been on my mind continually wanting to try to grow in each of those areas. And so today we want to turn our attention to one last character quality in this, in this series of talks. And this is going to be on self-control. What, what is the character quality of self-control? It's probably the easiest to define. And, uh, and I'm going to say this is what it is. Self-control is the ability to control oneself. Now, uh, but, but I went to school, and so I know in English you never use the same words to, to, in the definition, right? So let me just use some different words. It's the ability to restrain, to subdue, to properly direct our desires and our feelings for a greater good or for something better or for something different. One pastor defined self-control in this way, and I want to quote him, it is making decisions against yourself. Let me put it this way. Anybody who has a six-pack abs uh, had made, has made a decision against himself. They went to the gym when, they, when we went to the buffet. Anyone with a PhD, they got it by going to the library when we turned on our TV. They made a decision against themselves. Any world-class athlete, a world-class musician, they ha- are making decisions against themselves. If you want to grow in your relationship with God and fulfill all that, God, all that God-given potential that you have, you're going to have to make some decisions against yourself. Self- self-control isn't merely knowing what's right. And, and I think because generally, you know, the Bible says that we, we have a conscience and we generally know what's right. Self-control is not just knowing what's right, but it's, it's actually doing what we know is right. And can I speak honestly with us this morning? I mean, just being really, really honest without offending us. Uh, self-control is probably the easiest character quality to define because I think we all get it, but it's really, I think of the things that we've been talking about, it's going to be the hardest thing to grow in, uh, self-control. And, and the witness to this is how overweight we are. Uh, and again, I hope that's not offensive because I'm pointing 10 fingers at myself, but it's a, I think our overweightness points to a lack of, of self-control. Uh, when I think about this, I always think of the story of D.L. Moody and, and uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon when they met for the first time. And the story goes that Moody was over in England doing some sort of crusade work and he wanted to meet Spurgeon and he did. And so he went and knocked on Spurgeon's door and Spurgeon came to the door and he was a big old cigar in his, in his, uh, in his hand. He was smoking and, and Moody looked at him and the first words out of his mouth are, how can you, a man of God, smoke that? And, and Spurgeon took the stogie out of his mouth and put his finger in the stogie in, in, in D.L. Moody's belly. And he said, the same way you, oh man of God, can be so fat. Uh, so self-control is hard for ourselves, but it's, it's somewhat easier to recognize other people's lack of self-control, isn't it? It's easy for me to see your lack of self-control. It's a lot harder for me to see my own. So what I'd like to do at first is I'd like to establish why self-control is so important to us, why we should want to grow in this character quality. And the first reason would be this, because God has a right to rule over our lives because he is by nature the creator. So he has a right to rule in my life. However, I have a competing desire to not let him. I have a competing desire where I want to rule over my life. And so the reason why self-control is so important is because I have to exercise it. If I'm not going to allow myself to operate in my desires versus, versus his desires. When God created 
things back in the book of beginnings. You remember he created this couple and he gave them this one command. You're not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that, then uh, you're going to die. That was what God promised them. The evil one comes along and he says, no, that's not really true. The adversary, the Bible calls him, comes along and says, no, you know, God was, he didn't say this, but he's implying this. God's lying to you. You're not really going to die. God understands that what's going to happen to you is you're going to become like him. And that's why he doesn't want you to eat of the fruit. And of course, you remember, uh, they ate of the fruit. And uh, when they ate of the fruit, they, they would die. God removed the tree of life so they would not be able to live forever. Uh, and so they, they died. But, uh, but some other things happened as well. Something happened to Adam and Eve in that their nature was broken at that point. Remember they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know exactly what that means, but by eating of that tree, something happened to them. And, and, I, and I think their controller broke, if you would. That desire to rule over God and to, to not let God reign in their life, it was, something was broken there. So Paul, in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, this is what he says about people uh, often in general. He says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since they can, what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what was made. And as a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal people and four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to that desire within them. In simple terms, Paul Paul seems to be saying that man rejected God. And when, when man rejected God, something broke in them. In Romans chapter 5, it says that all of us die because Adam sinned. But then it goes on to say we all sin. We all die because we all sin as well. So really, there's two things working against us. There's the fact that Adam brought death into the world by his rebellion. But then our sin brings about our own death as well. There's something within us that doesn't want to let God rule in our life. And you need self-control if you're going to change that. Here's the second reason why we need self-control. Because not only are we supposed to submit ourselves to God, the Creator says that we are to prefer others as more important than ourselves. That we're to care more about each other than we are even about ourselves. But the problem is we have a competing desire that doesn't want to put you ahead of me. I have a competing desire where I want to put myself first. And so I need self-control if I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You see, we need self-control to not put ourselves ahead of others. You know, this reminded me of the story that I told you in the first lesson where we talked about love. You remember this story? It was about a man named Jeff who had worked 60 hours already that week. And he was in some sort of ministry that cared for people, uh, evidently maybe who had AIDS, who were dying of uh, drug, uh, drug stuff or whatever. And you remember, he had plans to go out that night, but 
right, right about the time he was about to leave, he got a call from a fellow named Jimmy. And he went. He, he went in anger. He went in frustration. But he went to take care of Jimmy. And, um, and while he was there, you know, you remember Russ came down the stairs and watched Jeff care for Jimmy. And he said, I get it. I get it. You know, uh, Jeff is like Jesus. And he understood the gospel watching uh, Jeff love you know, my point is that God, it took on Jeff's part that night. And he remember, he was, his whole point was, I was angry. I didn't do it because it felt good. I was really totally out of sorts. But self-control is what drove Jeff to go care for Jimmy. And, uh, and, the, third, and the third reason why we need self-control is that we have personal competing desires that are not equally good. Okay, so again, so the reason we need self-control is because we have a God who has the right to rule over us. We have a competing desire where we want to rule over him. We want to rule over our own lives. We have a competing desire in that God says he wants us to prefer others as more important than, than ourselves. But we have a competing desire that I want, to, I want to be first. I want to put me ahead of you. And then finally, this thing is we, we have, come, in, in this case, I'm not talking about sinful, I'm not necessarily talking about sinful desires. I'm just simply saying we have competing desires that are not equally, that are not equally good. I alluded to this earlier when I talked about us being overweight and, and often as Americans very overweight. We have a competing desire between wanting to be healthy and wanting the chocolate cake, Right? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. We have a desire for wanting some good things, but we also have a competing desire. And self-control is what lets us choose the better of those two competing choices. Gary Player is an international golf person. You golfers probably know him, but I was reading something that he wrote, and he made the statement, I'd give anything, uh, he made the statement that he was so tired of hearing people say when he's on the course, I'd give anything if I could hit a golf ball like you. And on this one particular day, having golfed on the course, maybe not done pretty good, he was, he was frustrated, and he heard somebody say that, and he turns on that person, and this is what player said to him. He said, no, you wouldn't. You'd give anything to hit a golf ball like me if it were easy. You know, and then he went on to tell him what, it, what you have to do to hit a golf ball like him. You've got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, go out and hit 1,000 golf balls, walk up to the club, put a bandage on your hand, and then start because it started bleeding, and then go hit another 1,000 golf balls. That's what it takes to hit a golf ball like me. So in other words, we have competing desires for wanting things. Again, I'm not talking about sinful things versus non-sinful things here. I'm just simply saying we have, we have competing desires between things that, you know, some are better than others. And we need self-control if we're going to want to choose the better. So let me show you four things that God says about self-control in his word. Number one, he says, for, and again, I'm talking to those of us that follow Jesus. He says, we have the ability to exercise self-control. Self-control is ours to uh, exert. And what I mean by that is that God has given us the ability to, to choose between competing desires in our lives. I, I believe as a believer, I have, you have that ability to choose. Now, I am not saying that those choices are easy. If they were easy... I would weigh less than I weigh this morning, and I'd have, I'd have better health if that were true. So I'm not, I'm not saying any of this is easy. What I am saying, though, is that God has enabled me as a follower of his to make correct choices. And maybe those choices are going to be harder for some of us than others, but, but I have the ability to make 
choices between two competing desires in my life. I am not a slave to my passions. You are not a slave to your feelings and to your emotions. You can chart a course that is contrary to your emotive cravings. I can walk it out. I really believe that. Again, I, I, I recognize how hard it is. And I recognize how at times I thought, man, I am not, I cannot, I cannot choose the good, right? But I tell you what, I believe the Bible is pretty clear that by the power of God within us, self-control is, is ours and we are response-able and we are without excuse. Galatians 5.22, um, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Remember this, the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is that which comes and is produced in our life by our yieldingness to God. So as I yield to God, the fruit of the Spirit is things like what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And you know what one of them is, right? It's self-control. Self-control. As I yield myself to God, one of the fruits of that is that I can exercise self-control in my life. Here's what Paul told Timothy. He says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The Apostle Paul has says that God has given us this powerful spirit, I think, to be able to choose between these competing, these competing choices. Now, back in John chapter 8, do you remember this interchange between Jesus and, and some of the religious leaders? He, he makes a statement to them. I'm just going to read it to you. John 8, 31. It says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. I mean, they're in bondage to Rome at that time. So it's, it's funny how they would say that. How, how can you say you will make us free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, here's the suggestion that I want to make that I think is, is I think I'm, I'm on pretty good grounds here in saying that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they, their controller was broken. In other words, their abilities that we're talking about here to exercise self-control was broken. They, they became sinners. And, and we inherited that nature that has a proclivity and a, and a propensity and a leaning, if you would, towards, towards sin. I think all of us are born, the Bible says, with a broken controller over my will. And what I mean by that is not that at times I can't choose between competing choices, but ultimately I, I am not free. I am not free apart from what God does in my life to be able to choose always between competing choices. But I think what Jesus meant in this passage to those men was that, you know, when we, when we are without him, we are slaves to our sin. And so there are times when we're just not going to be able to, to choose the right thing. But when we come to Christ, something happens in you. And you become a new creature. The old things passed away. God gives you his spirit. And I want to suggest, and, and this is, I really hope you can grab a hold of this. We have been set free in order to be able to exert through God self-control over our, over our sin. We are able to make the hard choice and not live according to the, those old broken desires that we have in our life. 
And again, I don't want to sound like a, a broken record. I, and I don't because I, I man, I, I get how some of you might be thinking. I am not at all saying there's anything easy or automatic about Jesus' redemption in our life. I'm not saying that at all. I recognize, I said it at the onset, self-control is probably the hardest character quality for us to develop. And I stand by that. I think it truly is. But I want you to get this. God says that we have been set free. And I think he means that our controller, what was broken, our controller, has been released. And we are no longer slaves to sin. And so we are responsible. So when I choose between two competing choices and I choose the wrong one, and I choose sin over what I know God wants me to do, when I do that, it's on me. It's on me. I can't blame anything but myself that I chose to, to walk in the wrong thing. Again, again, just because we've become followers of Jesus and something has, we've become a new creature, doesn't mean that there's still not a struggle. I got so many verses out of time, I'm just going to read a couple of them. Here's, here's one from James chapter 4. What causes quarrels? Talk to believers. What, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, you uh, cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. In other words, he says, man, there's this thing going on inside of you that is, that is, that's fighting. You're fighting it. And Peter, Peter says something similar in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So here he's acknowledging that there are these competing desires that are waging war from within me. They're waging war against my desires to follow God. And he says, man, wage war, fight. I, I'm not at all implying that there's something easy about anything I'm saying, but I am saying that you are free. I am saying that you, you don't have to live with the sense that I, I am just defeated from the beginning. I can't choose to do right. Yes, you can choose to do right. God has made you with self-control, and he's given you the ability by his spirit to operate in self-control. So when you have the opportunity to love and it's standing right in front of you, love does and you can do it. You can choose it. When you're tempted to skew the truth and all of a sudden you're feeling this desire to wanting to make yourself better than you are and, and to, you know, to lie a little bit about it, you don't have to do that. You can choose correctly in those moments when, when, you know, you got this prompting from God, you see somebody who really has a need, and you got this prompting from God that you're supposed to meet that need, and you're like, but wait a minute, I've been saving, I've been saving for this new car, or I've been saving for this whatever it is, and the Spirit of God is prompting you to be generous. You can choose to die to yourself, not be selfish, give up the money you've been saving, and be generous to the cause that God is, is prompting your heart. I could go on. Number two. I'm telling you what God says about self-control. Here's the second one. When we walk in self-control, we reflect the character of God to others. When you are a person that evidences self-control, when you are that person, then, then you are somehow reflecting God to others. And the reason I say that is because we live in a culture which says, why would you, why would you exercise self-control? Why would you not sleep with your girlfriend? Everybody in the world is doing that. So why would you not, why would you deprive yourselves? Why would you not enjoy that? Or, you know, and I get, that was the one that came to mind when I was going over this earlier. You know, the, the whole world says deprive yourself of nothing. 
You know, if it feels good, do it. You should do it. You're an autonomous creature, right? You, hey, you only got this life to live. So just go ahead and live it on up. Do whatever you want. Where, where God says self-control, when I live in self-control, I'm reflecting God to others. So in Galatians, back to Galatians, to the fruit of the Spirit, when, when I am submitting myself to God and the fruit of the Spirit has developed in me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. When self-control is there, people see it and they recognize there's something different about you that you live in self-control. So in Titus, let me just read you this. This is Titus chapter two. Just listen. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive, that the word of God may not be reviled. Titus 2.6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. In those verses in Titus, all four demographics are called to be self-controlled. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. It says we are to, we are to exercise self-control. And when I exercise self-control, I am representing who God is to the world because God is, is consummately self-controlled. God is not driven by his emotions uh, or by, uh, by just a whim. The Bible says the gospel is a representation of God's self-control. From the very beginning, God had a plan, and he's been working his plan. His plan is that, that all men might be saved, that, God, that all men might come to him. He desires that all men be saved. And he's been working this plan from the very beginning. And he said that all men who would put their faith in, in him or in Christ, he said all of those, this is what they would receive. God's been working out this this self-controlled plan from the very, very beginning of time. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, but understand this in the last days, um, there, will, there will come some difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, uh, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, slanderous. And then he says, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, rec reckless, and the list goes on. Here's my point. Here, Paul says that people without God, they're going to be un, uncontrolled. They're going to live by their passions and their feelings. Not us. We're to be men and women who live self-controlled. And so young people, you're to live with control over your emotions and your hormones. I mean, let's face it, man. Hormones as young people, I mean, they're just raging in us, and I get it. But you know what? You, you're, you need to be a person of self-control. And because of Christ in you... You can live self-controlled. All of us can. All of us in Christ can. Number three, self-control protects us from temptation. In that Proverbs passage that we read earlier, 25, 28, a person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall uh, is broken, broken down. In other words, a person without self-control is like a city that has no defense. And so self-control is a defense for us against temptation. Jerry Bridges, commenting on that passage in Proverbs, says, self-control is necessary because we are at war with our own sinful desires. James describes these desires as dragging us away and enticing us to sin. Peter says they war against our souls. Paul speaks of them as deceitful. What makes these sinful desires so dangerous is that they dwell within our own hearts. External temptations would not be nearly so dangerous were it not for the fact that they find an ally of desire right inside our own breast. And so self-control is what helps us defeat temptation. I went to court this week with a, 
with a friend just to be there and be supportive. And uh, while we were waiting for the court hearing to, to start, there were several courts and hearings in front of us. And there was this one hearing where this man desired another court-appointed lawyer. And the lawyer actually wanted another person to be this guy's lawyer too. But as I listened, you know, the, the person who's being charged was making a case with the judge. And the judge really, you could tell the judge really wasn't going to have anything to do with it. And he was going to, he wasn't going to change things. And the person, this person who's being charged demonstrated what it is to have a lack of self-control. Because all of a sudden he stood up and he is using the most foul language that you can imagine. And he's just shouting this in the court and they removed him from the court. And I guess because this was on my mind, I thought there's a person who just invited so much in on themselves because they had no self-control. In other words, if they had had control, self-control, I don't know that it would have changed anything, but it wouldn't have ended up like it did where the judge was absolutely against them. Exercising self-control in our lives is how we defeat temptation in our life. It's how we overcome sin. Sin and selfishness destroy marriages and friendships and church families and jobs and children. Self-control keeps those things from happening in our lives. Sin and Satan, they destroyed it. They desire to kill, but God wants to bring you life. And the life that he wants to give you is, is walled in with self-control. And then number four, finally, uh, my last thing about what God wants to tell us about self-control is that not just that self-control is a wall to protect us from temptation, but self-control is how we pursue holiness. Self-control is how we pursue the things that God wants us to pursue. So listen to Titus. This is, again, Paul writing to his protege, Titus. And he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, uprightly, and godly lives in the present age, as we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, he says, man, the way that we pursue righteousness is through self-control. That's how we live the godly life that God desires, by exercising self-control in our life and not living according to the sinful desires that, that are in us but have been, the power in them has been broken in our lives because of Christ. And so self-control helps us keep our eyes and hearts fixed on the eternal kingdom. They help us keep our, our, our eyes set on what really matters so that with self-control, we can be storing up treasures for ourselves with Jesus uh, in his heaven. Ruling over my impulses and my actions, remaining watchful, sober-minded, readied for Christ, those are all things that come out of me exercising self-control in my life. We set our minds on things above by self-control. We flee from sin by self-control. We battle we battle against sin and temptation by self-control through prayer. So pursue greater things through self-control. So there are the four things I think God wants us to know. Number one, I'm going to repeat them. Self-control is, uh, is, is ours. I mean, he's given it to us. We can exert it. When we exercise self-control, we reflect what God looks like to the world around us. Self-control helps us stave off temptations in our life. And self-control helps us pursue holiness in our life by, by choosing 
between two competing desires, choosing. Like, let's take, let me talk about this morning. You're all here this morning, but each one of you had a competing, you had a competing desire, or at least maybe not a competing desire, but you had a competing opportunity, and you chose this. Why did you choose this? I think self-control is what enables us to choose the things that end up resulting in us pursuing godliness and being the godly men and women that God wants us to do this. So, so that brings us to the, to the final part of this talk. Where are we? We're out of time. So this brings us to the final uh, part of this talk. So I'm going to try to go quickly. And I want to talk about how, how, it is, how do we grow in this? Because that's, that's the important thing, right? How do we grow in self-control? So this husband and wife were having a fight. And the husband was really upset because he was losing control and the wife never lost control. And so he said to her, he said, honey, how is it when we have a fight? You never lose self-control, but I do. And she said, well, I go and clean the toilet. And he said, you go and clean the toilet. How does that help you keep self-control? She said, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting that's how we grow in self-control, but I get what she was saying there, okay? I guess you probably do too. But here, here, here are the things I want to suggest. I'm going to go through them really quick because I just got a few minutes. But here, here, here are some things that I want to suggest to you to help you grow in self-control this week. Number one, confess and agree with God that you are able. Agree with God that you are able, that God has made you able by his spirit as a child of God to live a life of self-control, that you can choose between two competing desires, one that's wrong and one that's right, and you can choose the right one. Agree with God. The Bible says that without faith, we can't please God. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. What he was saying was, your willingness to trust what I say is what really blesses me. So I want, you to ble- I want you to believe God today that you are able, again, not saying this is easy. I'm just simply saying believe, believe God, agree with God, confess with God that you are able. Number two, in that, in that faith, express your dependence upon God to help you. Jesus said, when, when I get ready to leave, the Spirit's going to come and you shall receive power when he comes. And you're going to have power to live the godly life, to be my witnesses, to, to be who I need you to be. And so express your dependence on God every day. I mean, we all know where we struggle in self-control. So if you've got areas where you continually fall, then, then begin to say to God, God, I, I am able, but I need your help, and I recognize it. And express your dependence on the Lord in that area where, where you need his help and self-control. Number three, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Uh, and you might say, what does this have to do with self-control? Here, here's what Paul said to, to, um, to the church at Rome. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you get transformed to live in self-control? You renew your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Henry Ward Beecher told the story of his father who was a doctor, and this is what he said. He said, um, or I quote you the story. He said, he had uh, a man... A man came, he was livid with anger, came to approach his dad. And this is where Beecher picks up. He said, he had or supposed he had a grievance to complain of against my father. My father listened to him with great attention, perfect quietness until he'd got it all out. And then he said to him in a soft, low tone, 
Well, I suppose you only want what is just and right. The man said, yes, but went on to state his case all over again. Very gently, my father said, if you have been misinformed, I presume that you'd perfectly be willing to know what the truth is. And he said he would. Then my father very quietly and gently made a statement on the other side. And when he was through, the man got up and said, forgive me, doctor, forgive me. My father had beaten him by his quiet, gentle way. I saw it, and it gave me an insight into the power of self-control. How did Dr. Beecher's, or how did Henry Ward Beecher's father, Dr. Beecher, how did he know that a gentle word turns away wrath? How did he know that a man who rules over his own spirit and doesn't let anger take over, how does he know that that man is stronger than a man who takes a city? How does he know that? He knew that because his mind had been renewed by the word of God. So here, beloved, here's what I'm saying to you. Renew your mind. And I guess the practical way of grow your self-control, and this would probably apply to everything we've said through the course of the series, but it would be to know your Bibles. Learn your Bibles. Spend time in your Bibles, everyone. Get to know what God says. Number four, practice self-control. Uh, so here, and again, I'm making this one up on my own. I think it'll help. How, how do I grow in self-control? Practice it in something little. Uh, seriously, you know, he who is faithful in the little is faithful in the much. So if you, you know, let's just say you have these big areas of self-control that you're struggling with. I mean, work, I'm not saying don't work on them. I'm saying, listen, you are able. You are able. But I'm also saying let's practice self-control over things that are, that are competing desires in our life. Like we were talking about earlier, the chocolate cake versus the gym. It's things that are competing desires in our life that, you know, we really wish it was this way, but we really don't practice self-control, and this is what it is. Find something little to start with and practice. Practice exercise. Practice choosing the other thing and living it out. And so as I sat at my desk, immediately God told me what my little thing is that I'm going to work on. And so, uh, I mean, it's a big thing, but it's little. I'm going to control my desk. And some of you that know my desk will find that funny. But I'm going to control my desk. I am. That's my practice. That, that's, so you, you're welcome to come and, and see how I'm doing at it. And you're welcome to call me out and say, you are, you are not exercising the fruit of the Spirit. Because I'm, I'm committing myself. That, that's going to be my little, that's a little thing. I've got other big things too that I really want to work on. But, but I thought, man, here's a way for me to practice Self-control in that little thing. What's your little thing? So I know that Jill has made a bunch of candy for Christmas, so her little thing is going to be not to eat that candy that she made for Christmas. Number five, confess your failures in self-control. I think if there's anything that will help us grow, this is it. If there's anything that will help you grow in self-control, it's being willing to confess your failure in self-control. So, but if we walk in the light, John told us, if we walk in the light, he is, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. James put it this way, he says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. So can I, can I suggest that when you fail in self-control and you, you have a competing desire and you choose a sinful one, confess your sin to someone. We said this when we were talking earlier in one of, the, one of the character qualities, and I said to you, you don't need to confess to everyone, but you ought to confess to someone. So I really want to encourage you to do that, to, to confess your sins. Uh, when, when you fail in self-control, or you know, do like me, if you're willing in the small thing, or maybe even in a big thing, tell, tell somebody, I really struggle with self-control in this particular area, and I'm going to be working on this. You know, 
Confess your, confessed when you fail. Number, number six, identify and remove pitfalls. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to Micah and Jimmy and George. We all have the same temptations at some level. And, and so uh, remove, identify those temptations and then, and then remove pitfalls for them. And the Bible says flee youthful lust. So don't set yourself up to fail. Don't set yourself up to fail. Remove the temptation. I remember when I was in college uh, as a godly young man, and he was dating this, this young lady, and he was seeking to be morally pure in his relationship with her. And I remember he came to me crying one day, and he said, you know, I, I think I remember tears, but he came broken before me for sure. And he said, um, he said you know what I told you about, you know, wanting to be pure? He said, I, I, I've, there's something I've got. We can't lay on the bed and watch TV. I mean, we were in dorm rooms. That's basically all you had was a bed and maybe one chair at the desk, right? But he said, you know, we can't lay on the bed and watch TV because that was a, a trigger, as, as we can all imagine, right? So, so men, if you struggle with lust and you struggle with pornography, then getting up late and getting on your computer by yourself is, is just a stupid trigger. I mean, it's, it's, why would you do that if you want to exercise self-control, Wherever your area of failure is, let's just say you struggle with gossip. You wouldn't want to be in a group of people who are gossiping. You'd want to stay away from that. So my number six thing is identify where triggers that help us, that, that, that affect us in, in, in keeping self-control. And then remove those triggers. Get them out of your life. Don't, don't, don't put them there. Don't, don't test your self-control. Help your self-control. And then finally, remember the gospel when you fail. <laughs> this is my favorite. Because all of us are going to fail, even though I, I believe that all of us can. I believe all of us can rightly choose every time. I also know that we're all going to fail. Remember the gospel when you fail. Listen to what Hebrew says. Let us with this confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy when we don't exercise the proper self-control. And I added that. And find grace to help in time of need. Remember the gospel when you failed. You know, we, we started this off by saying we're not moralists. Y'all remember that? Maybe you didn't even know what I meant. And that was new to you. But we're not moralists. We don't believe God loves us any better because we're, we're better at being self-controlled. Do you think that? If you do, it's, it's wrong thinking. God doesn't love you more because you're growing in integrity or you're growing in generosity. He wants you to grow in generosity. He wants you to grow in gratefulness. He wants you to grow in all the things that we've been talking about. But he doesn't love us more because we're, we're doing better at it. We're not moralists. God loves us in Christ. And in, in our righteousness and in, in our good standing with God comes because we're trusting in Jesus. But having trusted in Jesus, I want to grow in these things. But when I fail, remember the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. So I end with this. I want to invite you this morning uh, to, I want to start here. I want to invite you to receive the Lord Jesus this morning because I made the statement, probably wasn't very clear, probably didn't do a very good job of it, but without Jesus, your controller is broken. You're born with a broken controller and, and you need Jesus to, first of all, forgive you of your sin and rescue you from your death, but you need him also to change your heart and he'll do that, but you have to receive him. 
You have to be willing to, to say, Lord Jesus, I want to receive you as my savior, as, as my, my fixer of my broken controller. I want you. I love you. And so I wonder this morning, is there anyone who would be willing to receive the Lord Jesus this morning? You know, I cannot live a righteous life, but just because I can't live a righteous life doesn't mean that I can't admit that I can't live a righteous life and cry out to the God who can rescue me. If I were an alcoholic this morning, you know, I may not be able to overcome alcohol, but that that doesn't keep me from being able to confess that I'm an alcoholic and I need God's help and other people's help to help me overcome that. You follow me? So maybe you're here this morning and your controller's broken. You can't fix your controller, but you can cry out to the one who will fix your controller, who will by his spirit come into your life and save you and change you and make you a new person. I tell you what, would you bow your heads and just bow your heads for just a moment. And just, I'd like you to just answer this question. Has Jesus saved me? Is my trust in him? Have I received him? And if not, would you receive the Lord Jesus this morning? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I want you. I want to follow you. I want you to be my Savior. Just in your heart, pray, cry out, whatever words you want to use. You just cry out to God. Let him, let him be your Savior. All right, Amen. So if, if that's been your heart, tell me about it if you don't mind. Tell me so I can help you. I want to end with a story. And this is in the book, The Three Edwards, is by Thomas Costain. He was describing the life of Reynald III, a 14th century duke in Belgium, or what's presently Belgium today. And uh, Reynald was uh, grossly overweight. He was known by his common Latin name, which was Crassus, Crassus which meant fat. That's what they called him. After a violent quarrel with his brothers, Reynald's younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him, and he captured Reynald, but he didn't, he didn't kill him. And what he did is he built a room around Reynald, and, uh, and it had just a, a door in it, and it had windows in it that Reynald could get out of if he lost weight. He couldn't get out of them as, as he was, but he could if he lost weight. And he told Reynald, he said, if you get out of this room, then I'll restore your kingdom to you and I'll restore everything to you. But Edward knew his older brother. And so every day he would send Reynald all kinds of delicious foods and, and cakes. And instead of dieting his way out of prison, which he could have easily gotten out had he lost weight, uh, he, he would not. He grew only fatter. And so when Duke Edward was accused of cruelty, this was his ready answer. My brother is not a prisoner. He may leave when he so wills. Reynald uh, standing in that room for ten, stayed in that room for 10 years until Edward died. And then they, they set him free. They set him free. Of course, his health was so destroyed, he died soon after that. Jesus has set you free. He has empowered you by his spirit. And you can walk out of that room if you'll trust in him. And you can live self-controlled. So that's it. Let me pray for us, okay? Father, thank you for um, desiring more of us than just, you desire for us to be like you, to love you, to follow you. You're inviting us to be a part of your eternal kingdom forever, and what a great joy that's going to be for all of us. Thank you for desiring more of me, maybe than even I desire of myself. 
Lord, I thank you that you've equipped me and enabled me to live a life of self-control by the power of your spirit. Thank you for fixing what was broken in me and restoring me. And I look forward, Lord, to the day when I am completely, completely uh, changed so that, Lord, this, uh, the inward struggle won't even be there. But for now, Lord, thank you that you've equipped me and my brothers and sisters to live a life of self-control. I pray that you would help us to do that, help us to grow in it, help us to desire to grow in self-control, and by your Spirit, speak to our heart the area that needs, to, that needs our attention in self-control. Show us that too, Lord, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.